1: Welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Cindy Yu, and I'm joined by Katie Boars and Isabel Hardman. So it's another day where Lee Anderson is in the headlines. Katie, what is the latest update with this? What is this like day four, day five of the round? I think officially
2: it's day five. Day five. If gosh. we go from the comments on the Friday, <laughs> and we have made a decision today not to dedicate. The entire 10 to 12 minutes of the podcast to Lee Anderson. But I think the latest is that the rouse shows no sign of abating. You had a Home Office Minister this morning cut off in one of his uh, interviews on LBC because he could not explain, Michael Tomlinson could not explain what exactly Lee Anderson said, which was wrong. Let's try this a different way. Was it
0: Islamophobic? What he said was wrong and robust action was taken and the whip was removed within 24 hours. Minister, was it Islamophobic? Uh, Nick,
2: it was wrong. Minister, I'm going to, and I'm I'm normally a very polite man, I'm actually going to effectively put the fact, I'll ask you now, for the third time, I've asked you six times why it was necessary, for the third time, was it Islamophobic? Uh, Nick, it was wrong. I'll have to curtail the interview there. I'm grateful for your time, but enough already. Michael Tomlinson is the Minister of State for Illegal Migration, unable to answer a question. You now increasingly have every Tory minister going on refusing to say that the the Andersons comments were Islamophobic, but are saying they are wrong. And I think that... To me, actually looking at what he said compared to what Suella Braverman said, given ministers say that is fine, it seems to be the point when he said his mates about Sadiq Khan by making it personal, and also given the fact Sadiq Khan is a Muslim, I think that is what logically has crossed the line in the in the on the Tory level. They don't want to use the phrase Islamophobia because, as Kemi has said, she thinks it's loaded. It comes with terms. They want to use different phrases and talk about things in different ways. But I think Lee Anderson has given one interview last night one interview today with every interview he seems to go a bit further <laughs> and he's now opened the door to potentially joining reform by not ruling it out saying well I've already been on a political journey and now seems to be going further once again talking about Sadiq Khan and um, what he's allowing to happen to London so I think the upshot probably is that there's lots of MPs who would like Lee Anderson to return as a Tory MP sometime in the soon to medium future. With every interview I think Lee Anderson gives and every interview a government minister gives, the chances of that happening dwindles because Mm. the two positions are becoming further apart.
1: And as well, elsewhere in the Commons today, David Neal, the former Independent Chief Inspector of Borders and Immigration, um, has been speaking to the Home Affairs Committee. Now he had been until recently in that role and sacked quite summarily. So tell us about what he's had to say today. Yeah, sacked, I'd say highly summarily, in that
0: he told the committee today, we already knew that he'd been sacked over a team's call. But he also said, worse than that, for my high performing team of 30 civil servants, the notification that I was sacked was in the media before my team or I had the chance to speak to them, which is just shocking, shocking leadership. And that was just one of the many bombs, I think, that he dropped during this hearing, which was always going to be... A very fiery event because he was dropped or sacked for being fiery and critical of the government on immigration. And uh, he did not hold back on this. Although, having said he did not hold back, actually, there were a number of points where he said that he didn't want to give details on certain matters because he had been warned by the Home Office not to. And so he only really referred to information. Uh, that had ended up in the public domain one way or the other, and there was a, an exchange a bit later on with uh, Conservative MP James Daly about how some of that information had ended up in the public domain. I.e., had he been leaking uh, to the Daily Mail, which was quite a um, quite a tense exchange. But really, the the tenor of the committee session was that he felt he was sacked for doing his job, which was pointing out inconvenient truths uh, about the government and the management of our borders. And uh, that was very much where the questioning from from all MPs, including those who were uh, more loyal to the government, that was where it, it really went. Uh, they, many of them remarked on how extraordinary his, his claims were that he was being, uh, that he'd been removed, essentially, for uh, providing the scrutiny that was too uncomfortable to ministers.
1: And Katie, for people who haven't been following this sacking so closely, you know, what, what is a dispute that he has with, when it comes to the Home Office? Is he talking about small boats or migrant centres? What is it exactly that he's critical of the Home Office for?
2: Yeah, so this came yeah. into the open last week in the sense that that was when David Neal uh, said that he had been axed as something he's spoken about today. And I think it's worth pointing out he was already due to leave the position in about a month's time. The government had chosen not to continue having him in the role. There's always, I think, a slight tension with these independent roles as to how independent you really are. Now, David Neal was appointed by Priti Patel when um, she was Home Secretary. And I think you can often see, you know, sometimes when, for example, for some of these commissioners, so you look at the Children's Commissioner, Anne Longford, when she was in the role, was seen as someone who lived close links to Labour. When the Tories were the role they picked rachel D'Souza, it led to a role of uh, whether it's tory cronyism because i think michael gove had once gone to a school by rachel D'Souza and said the answer to her education problems is to clone rachel D'Souza. so even though she had her own achievements to point to often when governments have the ability to pick who that's going to be the independent advisor they might expect in return not for them to be a patsy but for them not to be unhelpful. Now here I think in David Neal's case you've had a situation whereby he's grown increasingly frustrated because he's I think about 15 reports he said the government has not been publishing them. These reports included things he said since which was you know a quarter of foreign care workers are abusing UK visa rules by working illegally in other industries. There was also something about private jet use and how thoroughly those checks were going on private jets. Later it came out some of those are having remotely run in person So they're all important holes in the system that have to be, you know, fixed if you're going to have a more functioning immigration migration system. I, I think the problem is when you get to an election year, the government doesn't necessarily think it has the time to fix all those problems. And I think he clearly grew very frustrated that lots of these things he was not being heard, and also that his reports were not going out. Then I think goes a bit rogue, <laughs> and then you have a situation where actually they clearly felt that he was, you know, with a month to go. It was it was too risky to even have them staying on. But I think it is clearly uncomfortable for the government to having someone that they picked, yes, a different Home Secretary, but someone they picked now out there making it pretty well known that they think the government is willfully ignoring the objections they have found, particularly when they have some data to point to.
1: And Isabel, speaking of and helpful, actually, in just over a week, um, the Chancellor will be delivering his budget. And the Institute for Fiscal Studies, which is a very respected and influential think tank, has today come out to warn Jeremy Hunt against tax cuts. Can you explain what that, what's going on there?
0: Yeah, so the Institute for Fiscal Studies has been warning for some time that if you make further tax cuts, indeed, actually, the, the existing cuts that, that have been announced over the past few months will have to be paid for. After the next election, either by even deeper public spending cuts than the Chancellor is already seeking, or by tax rises, uh, which I think is is one of the things that has really driven, or I don't know whether driven is quite the right word, the, the, the lack of public gratitude to the Tories for the tax measures they've announced so far, because... I think there is a sort of hunch amongst the voting public that they may be being bribed with some of their own money pre-election and that that may cost them more in in the long run. So today, the IFS has calculated that Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, would need to find £35 billion worth of cuts from public services if he plans to use a Whitehall spending freeze to pay for pre-election giveaways. Uh, It also described his financial planning as dubious and lacking credibility. Which is is not really a, a verdict you'd want from well from your own bank manager, let alone from the independent scrutiniser of uh, public spending. Whether any of this will make any of a difference to Jeremy Hunt's financial planning, I, I suspect not. But I think it underlines uh, some of the anxieties you get, even from Conservative MPs, about where public services are going and about how the public feel about those versus their need to lower the tax burden. Now, all Conservatives want to lower the tax burden. They'll you know, they all say it's too high. But there's also a, an awareness that voters are very unhappy with the condition of public services. I would say that the one bit of cover that the Conservatives do have on this is that they don't have a Labour Party that's heading towards an election promising as Boris Johnson once put it, an opening of the spending taps. And so there's not a sense that there's a choice between a party that's deliberately withholding money from public services and a party that is promising a land of milk and honey if only you vote them into government. Um, And I say that's the one saving grace that the Conservatives have. That said, Labour tend to make the public service argument more about mismanagement than they do about funding. Yeah, I think I think the problem
2: politically, perhaps there's more than one problem, and I'm being too kind, but one of the problems is that this budget has been seen as probably the final set-piece event ahead of an election, and whenever that election may be, for the Tories to use something that everyone knows is happening, uh, which is in control of the government, to set the agenda. And it felt as though there was a moment of optimism might be a stretch but if you think back to last summer when they had party conference king's speech a cabinet reshuffle an autumn statement and then a spring budget and it felt as though the government yes behind had various utensils or tools that it could use to try and change things now four of those have come and gone the polls are still dreadful for the tories and i think therefore for a while now, particularly because of the tax cutting rhetoric coming from rishi sunak he told the spectator at christmas there'd be a gear shift in taxation this year starting obviously with the autumn statement last year that this will be a really big event You listen to what the IFS said, you look really at any of the current forecasts, you look at uh, what's happened in terms of inflation actually rising a little, not to the speed that was going to be, it means you're not getting those rate cuts. And it just does not feel as though Jeremy Hunt has the space, the headroom to do anything too drastic. And therefore you do get a tax cut, whether it is most likely perhaps a small national insurance tax cut, could be income tax, but I think the sense is... It could also be income tax. It's not going to be probably the same scale as what happened in the autumn statement. And what happened in the autumn statement didn't lead to much of a poll bounce. (laughs) And therefore, it's hard to see this being particularly game changing for the Conservative Party.
1: Katie and Isabel, thanks very much. And thank you very much for listening. If you like this podcast, do give us a rating and review. And why not tell a friend about it?